You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Hello, I'm Wade Zaglis, the Education Editor of Campus Review. The summer of 2020 has been a time most Australians would prefer to forget. As megafires wreaked havoc across several states and territories, people died, hundreds of homes were reduced to cinders, and an estimated one billion animals perished. The scale of the devastation has been apocalyptic. Today, in part one of our series on climate-affected bushfires, I'm talking to Clem Davis, a former meteorologist and honorary lecturer at the Australian National University. Clem, broadly speaking, can you explain how weather patterns have changed in, say, the last 30 years and what is projected if nothing is done about CO2 emissions? Okay, that's a fairly broad question. Um, let's start off with what I've seen over the, my, my years as a, a forecaster, 40 years. Weather and climate forecasts have improved dramatically over the period uh, uh, that I was working as an operational meteorologist. You need to remember that these forecasts are only based on mathematical representations of the natural systems. Mm-hmm. And there have been three major developments over the years that have improved the accuracy of these models. We've increased uh, data. Uh, We're now getting remote sensing, so we're getting data from the whole globe rather than just uh, the 30% of the landmass. There's an old saying uh, in computing terms, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. So if if we can improve our analysis to start with, we improve our output. We also have larger and faster computers. We can now do more calculations over smaller grid point spacings and that gives greater accuracy. We can also use inputs from larger scale models into regional and local scale models that operate over smaller areas and smaller time frames. And of course, there's a better understanding of the mathematics, chemistry and physics of how the whole Earth-Ocean atmosphere interacts. And uh, that has improved our ability to model the natural systems. So based on that, the consensus is in, I guess, that whether, you know, the globe is heating. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, well, the, the other thing too, of course, is uh, with seasonal models, um, we've improved under, our understanding of how the interannual climate drivers such as El Nino, La Nina and the uh, Indian Ocean Dipole operate. Mm-hmm. But we have to remember weather and climate are not the same thing. Weather is what happens over the short term while climate in, uh, deals with what's happening over the long term. And you've got this problem between the two. For instance, while climate forecasts may indicate whether there could be an increased or decreased chance of tropical cyclones in a season, they can't predict where or when they will form. Similarly, climate forecasts can't predict the development of the recent rain event over East Coast. These developments are weather events mm-hmm. uh, that result from short-term and localised changes in the atmosphere. I guess it's, um, you know, uh, climate's more of a longitudinal kind of approach, is that right, and compared to, yes, to it- weather forecasts? Yeah, well, that's right. Weather is the here and now. Mm-hmm. There's a saying, weather is, what, uh, weather is what we get, climate is what we expect. Well, the megafires over the 2020 summer period cannot be blamed solely on climate change alone. Would they have been an intent, as intense, say, 20 or 30 years ago? Why or why not? This is a very difficult question. Fires are determined by weather, uh, the conditions leading up to the fires and the fuel on the ground. So you've got several input input into bushfires. 
as most bushfires tend to be related to drier than average conditions leading up, uh, leading up to the fires, such as drought, and we've, you know, we've had a major drought, mm-hmm. these conditions are already at the extreme end of the spectrum anyway. I cannot say that the present fire event could have been any worse than those fires of 1939, 1982, 2003 and 2009. You also have to remember that more people are now living in these fire-prone areas, which may be exacerbating the threat to lives and property. Uh, This year we have also had several fires merging into larger fires. Such fires create their own weather around the fire, which can be extremely dangerous for those on the fire ground. However, the conditions this summer were quite extraordinary. We were in a long drought, the weather conditions were unusual and the fuel levels on the ground were very heavy. What we do know is that under global warming we're expected to get drier and warmer conditions over southern Australia. Uh, These underlying conditions are expected to lead to an increase in more dangerous fire conditions and could impact on fires once they commence. And such conditions are already occurring as evidenced by the fact that we are now recording increased numbers of days of very high to extreme fire for, um, to extreme forest fire danger ratings. Um, now to come to uh, the elephant in the room, I guess. How difficult will it be to limit a global temperature rise this century to 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels with a burgeoning world population and the growing thirst for reliable energy in, say, Africa, India and China, parts of the world that have actually never had the advantage of having electricity that was reliable? Yes, that's a a, a very good uh, question. Um, Unfortunately, due to the lag effects of the build-up of carbon dioxide already in the atmosphere, even if we stopped all emissions tomorrow, we are probably still set to reach 1.5 degrees uh, level of CO2 um, uh, of temperature in the atmosphere anyway. Well, it's possible that we're actually seeing that now. Okay. That's probably going to be happening over the next you know, 10 to 15 years. And we're already seeing uh, some increases above one degree already. So we're, we're, we are approaching that level already. Um, you mentioned to me um, in an email conversation that chaos theory can have an effect on the reliability of forecasts. Is this problematic in trying to provide reliable forecast advice or does it have a minimal effect? Um, Look, chaos theory is a way of explaining the build-up of errors within forecasting models. Mm -hmm. Over time, these errors can then impact on the accuracy of any model output. For instance, chaos theory has been likened to the flapping of a butterfly's wings, which could lead to a cyclone in several weeks' time. It's basically indicating that there are things occurring outside the weather climate system that can impact on the system over time and that we cannot account for such occurrences. Every time a computer does a calculation, it introduces a little error. Uh, As computer weather forecasts depend on previous calculations, over time these errors can grow exponentially. Combined with chaos theory, there's probably a theoretical limit in the accuracy of day-to-day forecasting uh, of about two weeks. However, the accuracy of forecasts out to five days is getting extremely good and the five-day weather forecast is now as accurate as the 24-hour forecast was when I started 40 years ago. Uh, being able to provide accurate forecasts of things like the recent rain event along the East Coast 
or the development of movement of cyclones or other severe weather events can provide the community and emergency services with time to warn and prepare for such events and thus reduce the threat to life, if not property. Recently, you've been conducting some interesting research with uh, Jeanette Lindsay at ANU on climate change in regional areas like Canberra. What interesting uh, conclusions or findings have you come across so far? Yes, this has been a reasonably long uh, project with Jeanette. Uh, and we've been looking at the uh, how the temperature and rainfall patterns have been changing Canberra over 100 years of record. Mm-hmm. And we've also been investigating the impact that uh, El Nino, La Nina and the Indian Ocean Dipole has on the local area. So far, what we've found, uh, not surprisingly, winters are getting warmer and shorter, with warmer conditions extending into May and September. Um, Summers are getting hotter, but not necessarily longer. For instance, early summer is getting warmer due to a lot of cold days, while midsummer is getting warmer due to an increase in hot days. This is also leading to an increase in heat waves through the number of events, the length of the event, and the temperatures within the event. I think anecdotally too, people are starting to experience this. They're feeling it. Um, That's right. The science is there to back it up, but, you know... yeah. The interesting thing is during winter, we actually may not be seeing a decrease in the number of uh, frosts in Canberra, which sounds counterintuitive. Yeah. But what happens is you, if you're getting drier conditions, you're getting sunnier skies and therefore you're getting extra heat loss at night. So, so it's a bit counterintuitive that. Which cools now, everything down. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's right. It allows uh, radiational cooling. Now... Rainfall trends are a little bit more complicated as you have to consider rainfall over both time and space. And it's interesting, while in Canberra there's been a minimal change in annual uh, rainfall, there are changes occurring within seasons. The main effect is drying uh, in autumn with a slight increase in winter. There are also less long-term rain events occurring. Uh, and what we term long-term rain events is four or more consecutive days on which rain is recorded. Mm-hmm. So we seem to be losing longer rainfall events. I was just going to ask, is the is the overall total more important than, I guess, the seasonal, uh, you know, rainfall and and um, heat, you know, say in summertime? That, that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a good point. Actually, what, what you've got to do is you, you've got to look at the the amount of rainfall that is falling in each event. And, you know, we could lose 30% of our rainfall and only have a minimal effect on the annual total because a lot of our rainfall is uh, very small rainfall events. Whereas if you, if you have a loss in larger rainfall events, you only need a small loss in those to have a bigger, bigger impact. So the amount of rainfall that is falling... Uh, in the event is just as important Uh, under um, uh, global warming. Mm -hmm. These emissions, we may not be able to limit any rise to under two degrees. The trouble is once we get to two degrees, there are possible feedback effects that could cause further increases. These effects are called tipping points, Mm -hmm. which once reached, reached may... Uh, may accelerate warming impacts. Therefore, you could consider any action on climate change as a risk management decision. Even if the climate sceptics are right and 
global warming is not so much an issue. The question is, can we afford not to take any action now, given the possible long-term economic, environmental and social impacts that could result? Mm -hmm. The window for taking such action is closing fast. And and economists show the cost of action now is less, far less than any future cost. Yeah. And scientists have been predicting this for years. I mean, let's yeah. back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Seminal books were produced, you know. Um, yeah. Har- oh. Harbages of what's to come. That's right. So uh, I hope that sort of uh, help, uh, helps with that point. It does. Okay, once again, Clem, thank you so much for speaking to Campus Review and you have a lovely day.